see, the longer the pause, the better, Jerry. Uh, there's something about silence today that makes everyone in Queens feel terribly insecure. And people who are insecure are ready for anything. Wide open, ready for anything. Johnson down there in the village, see, and I'm minding my own business. I have just finished a Texas Tommy, which means that everything is right in my world. And I'm standing there next to the ice cream counter when all of a sudden this guy walks in right out of the street, see. The sun is coming down. It's a beautiful, almost, it's a neo-spring day. The sun is coming down. And this guy walks in, sits down at the counter, says to the guy behind the counter, there were two of them behind the long uh, marble top thing there, and he says to him, I'll have vanilla. And the two guys walked away, the two countermen, dressed in white. Thirty seconds later, they're standing 15 feet from me, and one says to the other, it's one of them beats. Well, of course, uh, I knew then that, that the world was right and everything was beginning to fit. Not more than five minutes later, I'm sitting in the... Well, I, don't you get it? Don't you know? Howard Johnson, 4,000 flavors... One of them beats, of course. Guys, uh, I'm sitting in the bus, and I'm coming uptown, see, and I'm reading the paper, and I'm going through the obits. The obits is really, in, in a sense, where you really find out what the world is about. You find out what men are remembered for. <laughs> the things that really count, you know, are the things... That you, these are the things that are the, usually the only things that have ever been written about most of these guys. And I'm reading about this one guy who passed into the great beyond leaving behind him a strong box, which was locked, had four combination locks on it, and was left in the trusteeship of a very important man in the bank. 
They finally busted it open after a lot of trepidation and worrying on the part of 400 relatives who had gathered from over 35 states for the reading of the will, and they found that the strong box contained 3,000 golf scorecards. This man had played at 3,000 different golf courses, and this is what he finally was noted for in his obituary. He saved the cards from each one, and they didn't say what the scores were. Obviously, this man was afraid that somebody in the dark, something, some creature that would go bump in the night, would finally arrive from under his day bed and steal his golf cards. So he kept them in the safe deposit box down at the Chemical Corn Exchange Bank. Did I tell you about the guy that tried to exchange 4,000 pounds of silver nitrate at the Chemical Corn Exchange Bank for dough? <laughs> Nothing happened. They threw him out. I know one guy that took four bushels of corn in there one day. <laughs> uh, crying out loud. I mean, just don't try to push it too hard. You'll find that this is an abstract world, Daddy. <laughs> so so uh, here's this guy. Now, now, we're inclined, of course, to laugh at this guy who saved 3,000 golf scorecards, right? Right, okay, we will now pause while everyone in Staten Island laughs. <laughs> what a hollow laughter comes ringing out of Staten Island. <laughs> oh, sad sadness. Oh, thy name, thy apathetic, thou sullen, sullen smile. So anyway, uh, I mean, 3,000 golf scorecards. Well, this guy was obviously hung up. I mean, all of his life, he, he, this, was what, this was what was important. And oddly enough, this is what... He was mentioned for in the obits. It didn't say anything else, whether he was a nice guy, whether he was a rotten guy, whether he loved his mother, whether he kicked his wife every night after supper, nothing. It did say one thing. He saved 3,000 scorecards from 3,000 different golf courses. Let that be a lesson to you. Just think it over. If you think you're going to be remembered because you were a nice guy or because you were a rotten guy, forget it. He was hung up. Now, it was no more nor less really important, in a sense, than whether he had saved 3,000 different bonds from 3,000 different companies <laughs> in a strong deposit. It makes no difference, you know, in the long run. <laughs> like just five minutes after that, I'm leafing through there, the same paper, and I've gotten through the obits, and there's a big page full of ads of one kind or another, and there's an ad that says, Guaranteed Monuments. Underneath it, it says, Guaranteed Memorials. Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, look up Memorial. Will you please, someone out there, got a, got a dictionary? Please look up, uh, look up Memorial there for me. And apply the word guaranteed to it in front, and you will see that man is up to his old tricks again. It's spring, of course. It's the uh, abnormal aquinix or the emormal waquinix. What is it, the abnormal waquinix or the oral equinox? What is it? I mean, it's a, whatever it is, it's up. To, and it's also almost full moon, you know. You can hear the sniffing and the snuffing down there in the privet hedges. Things are normal. I, I uh, would like to know, has anybody out there got a dictionary? Please look up memorial for us. Wouldn't you like to have a guaranteed one? <laughs> Throughout the ages, they will say, Charlie was here. He played every golf course in 4,000 counties. <laughs> There's a man for you. Well, of course, I mean, you got to remember what's important. He was hung up. What are you hung up on? Everybody's hung up on something. I'm going to tell you, my old friend Frank, I knew a guy one time from Philadelphia. Of course, it's easy to get hung up in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, in a sense, is a hung up city. And uh, it's hung up on being Philadelphia, you know. Uh, this is a very special kind of hanging up. And so this, this friend of mine, Frank, was, was not only a Philadelphian, but he was hung up on other things, too. Uh, he had a problem. He had a, he had a perfect memory for only one thing. He could remember every meal he'd ever had, and he was 74 years old. And Frank kept a notebook. Uh, this is just by way of, uh, 
of uh, <laughs> reporting on what mankind really is, you know. Frank kept a notebook, a big, fat leather notebook. I'm telling you a serious fact. Now, I want you to listen if you want to learn about your fellow man. He kept a big, loose-leaf notebook, one of those old-fashioned black kind with about nine rings. You know, you get special kind of paper with nine-hole paper. And he was very careful about it. He put all the reinforcements in, even before it got worn. He would put them all in there, you know. And, and old Frank, he remembered every restaurant he had ever been at, and he wrote them down in this little, in this fine Spencerian 1895-type hand. You know, the little scratch. He was a lawyer, which made it even worse. And you know how lawyers write. Very careful with a steel-nibbed pen. And Frank would write down the name of every restaurant he ever ate in. And he was a bachelor, and he ate in nothing but restaurants. Get it out of your head. This guy w ate all the time in restaurants. And so he would write down the name of the restaurant, and if it was a good restaurant, he would write it in, in red ink, if it turned out well, you see. If it was just an ordinary restaurant, he would write it in black ink. And if it was a hotel restaurant, he would write it in red and put a black star next to it. He used two pens that he always kept at hand. And then, to make it even worse, his memory made it so that he remembered every meal he'd ever had. And I can remember doing this to Frank. I would say, Frank, uh, please tell me, uh, tell me about August 1913. He would say, well, August 1913. That's a surprising thing you happen to ask about that. That's a coincidence, Jane. I can remember, yes, August 5th, 1913. I was in the Hotel Alexandria... I had just arrived at 10.47 a.m., the Hotel Alexandria in Augusta, Maine. I was, uh, I was seated in the Blue Gentian Room, and I was approached by a waitress, a large buck-toothed female, whom I believe came, I later found out, from Bangor, Maine. She said to me, uh, you should try our prune cranberry ice cream. I did. It was delicious, Jean. I would also like to recommend their chicken croquettes. I would also like to say a nice word for their cream spinach. That was August 5th, 1913. Now, do you have another question? And he was hung up. Well, now, I began to, of course, later on, realize that Frank was no more hung up than any of the rest of us. Uh, I mean, the kid walked in. He just said, I'll have vanilla. The guy walked away and said in disgust to his friend, it's one of them rotten beets. So everyone's hung up. Everyone's got something wrong with his knee. And, and if you look, yeah, if you look, look very carefully. <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on. Come on, Daddy. <laughs> everyone's hung up. Some guys are hung up on peace. Other guys are hung up on war. Some guys are hung up on love. And other guys are hung up on mother. As a matter of fact, uh, this... This uh, listener type sent me a note, said, uh, Mr. Shepard, I have paraphrased an adage that you might enjoy. Uh, the paraphrase read, uh, Mother is the necessity of all inventions. Or a mother is the invention of all necessities. Or mother is the invention of necessity. It makes no difference. It all fits the same. So, <laughs> just play it by ear, Dad. In fact, it's not, not, not more than an hour or two ago, I was told by this chick... Well, Fred and I are just going together, and, and we're going to date. See, I mean, only in the 20th century in 1961 could you hear this. We're just dating here for a while, and he asked me to marry him a couple of months ago. And uh, I said to him, well, look, you date somebody else for a while, and I'll date somebody else for a while, because we're just playing it by ear. Now, for this time being. Just playing it by ear for the time being. Well, I said to her, well, when are you going to start playing by the music? I don't know, but we're playing it by ear for the time being. 
which is the saddest of all and the most uh, cutting of all remarks that man makes for the time being. I wonder how many 18 billion trillion skillion guys are sitting out there in the dark tonight scudding through that ethereal fog that hangs over New Jersey, whistling along the turnpike, uh, living their lives for the time being. Yeah, well, for the time being, I'm working in the agency, you know. I'm uh, knocking out some copy for the pickle account. But uh, I'll get down to brass tacks, knuckle down, get down on my knees, and I'll knock out that novel. Sure, I'll knock out that novel. Oh, the wide gulf of difference between dreams and imagination and ambition. Come, toot your horn. Get up on that table. Let's hear some of them heel thumpers, huh? midnight and uh, we have with us here uh, speaking of guaranteed memorials this is WORAM and FM in New York we're on the subject of uh, of the guarantee if you're out looking around and scrounging out in the darkness there and you're looking for something to eat Prexies is open uh, they're open and they'll be swinging until 2 o'clock this morning you know has it ever occurred to you that the only I, I had the wildest experience in Rome uh, there is a there is a place in Rome. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Rome, but uh, to those of you who haven't, you might be interested in this. And to those of you who have, you will remember this, undoubtedly. But uh, there was a there is a place in Rome that serves without a question of a doubt the worst hamburgers in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> it's a very funny thing about about native foods that uh, wherever you go. In any country, it doesn't make any difference where it is, whether it's France or Belgium, any place I have been. The hip thing to do among the hippies in that particular country is to dig the stuff from some other country and to put down everything in their own country. This is the hip thing to do. And so I'm, I'm not in Rome three days when I meet this very hip-type Roman. And I'm out there, you know, everybody's moving around, and this guy says, look, I'll, I'll take you to a real, a real place. This really swings. Now, this, is a, this makes it bad. This is Okay. And so, about half an hour later, we're in this, this terrible hamburger joint. And it is the worst, I'm telling you. <laughs> he says, this, this really makes it. He says, this is the real stuff, you know. And so he says, oh, is it? And he says, yes, sir, Dad. And, and he says, the real stuff. And so they trot out these hamburgers that look like they were made out of old golf balls with ketchup on them. And bad ketchup. If you can imagine ketchup that tasted like old tomatoes, nothing else in it with a little salt. This is, this is what they were getting. And, 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 and all, the, all the guys behind the counter were trying to make like they were from Brooklyn. You know, it's just like, have you ever seen all these waiters up and down 49th Street in these two-bit French restaurants who come from the Bronx all trying to make like they're from France for the tourists? <laughs> the wildest thing. You ought to hear some of that Grand Concourse French. And uh, this, is, this is the way it was in Rome. These guys are walking around there, and they're, 
And, and here I am from headquarters, see, I'm from home base. I'm an old Prexies man from way back. I've been eating Prexies hamburgers since before they got their first bun. And I'm eating this terrible hamburger, and I don't, I don't know what to say to this swinging Roman, you know. He's, he's telling me how great this is, and I don't know. And the name of the joint is the Californian. <laughs> there, this place. Oh, the most world's off. And here it is right in the middle of Rome, and this is the hip place for the Romans to go. And uh, little do we realize, most of us don't, that, that one of the few native art forms that we have contributed to the world is the hamburger. This really is Native American food. You know, when you, when you think of Native uh, French food, you think of Native Italian food, you think of Native English food, which is that old sponge that they put out there. I don't know. what Native English food is kind of like, uh, kind of like boiled wash rags or something. I've had it. It's very strange stuff. Uh, but that's, that's Native English food. See, there's, there's all kinds of Native foods. And, uh, and the Native American food is the hot dog and the hamburger. Now, the hip thing, of course, is to put it down. <laughs> but this is the Native American food. And, and nobody does it better than we do. I mean, uh, we're the natives, you know? I mean, let's face it, we are natives. And one day, when, when, of course, it's already happening, our economy is going, you know, it's all blowing up and the dollar's worth nothing in, in Brussels and stuff. Eventually, I, I can see it now. Can't you see all the guys out here in, uh, out here in the lower bay? There'll be guys meeting the ships coming in, see? And they'll be rowing rowboats along. Hey, hey, we got, I have native uh, statue, uh, uh, statue liberty, native statue liberty here, real. And guys diving for Copex. And uh, there'll be guys down here off Coney Island, see, and the ships will be coming in from Italy and from Germany. The tourists will be coming in by the millions. And there'll be thousands of guys down here by the Hudson River Piers, you know, where the boats come in there. And they'll be diving for Liras. Lira, me diving river! Whoa! And they go, and the natives are throwing them in. And, and, and <laughs> it's going to happen, believe me. And, and of course, all the, all, the, uh, all the tourists from Europe will be walking around taking pictures of you in your native garb. Uh, you know, with your Chesterfield on and your your little snap brim hat. They say the funny little things. And, you know, they wear them right out on the streets. It's a very strange thing. And notice notice that one over there with the... <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. And they'll be taking pictures of us, and you can charge them 50 cents a shot. I mean, just like they do in Rome. But as I was saying, if you want a real fine... If, if, if a hamburger were to buy a hamburger in New York, it would go to Prexy's. As a matter of fact, a hamburger's hamburger is a Prexy hamburger. The hamburger with the college education, as they say. Funny thing, you know, I came to New York the first time I ran into Prexies. It's a hamburger with a college education. And I thought I... <laughs> when I was in college, there were 4,000 other hamburgers there with me. <laughs> it's nothing new, believe me, in, a, in the Midwest, the Big Ten colleges. But uh, if you're out looking for a hamburger, you'll find Prexies is in business until till 2 o'clock this morning. All up and down Lexington Avenue and the big, the big one down here on uh, Sheridan Square. Right in the heart of the village. Uh, Prexies is right there, right right around the corner from the paper book gallery. And incidentally, Prexies is opening a new place. And a word of advice. This Saturday, this Saturday when Prexies opens, they're opening right around the corner. They're, they're going to have two stores right, right within 100 feet of each other. And right around the corner, right next to the paper book gallery, they're opening a Prexies. And to only to guys who come in Saturday... And it's going to be, a, you know, you know how Saturday is in the village. The village, if you can imagine, a whole town sweating. Well, that's what happens to, to the village. Or on Friday night, it begins to break out in a cold sweat, you know. And you can just feel the glands bulging and everything. Oh, boy, it's wild. And, and if, if you're going to make the village scene, I would suggest you step into this, Prexies. 
the new one that's opening up Saturday morning. And all you got to do is say quietly, say it quietly, because they don't want any any uh, any disturbances there. You know, no no demonstrations there yet. Just come in and say Excelsior, and the guy will put down on the table in front of you, absolutely scot free, Dad. A great big strawberry shortcake with soft ice cream with strawberries in the works, free, on the house. Just say Excelsior. Have you ever had their soft ice cream? Native dish. Fantastic native dish. I'm going to take you down to the native quarter. There's all kinds of things down there. This is Prexies. <laughs> but you know, speaking of, of native of native uh, customs, I'm, I'm uh, about, oh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago. Believe me, this is a native custom. And maybe you don't, maybe you don't recognize it as such. But about twenty minutes or so before I'm coming on the air, this only happens all through the summer, in the spring, and in the fall. It closes down in the winter time. All these people who are standing around on the street corners, this is one particularly. The, the people who harangue the crowd, uh, who are haranguing in favor of goodness, sweetness, and light, and other things, but they do so with a fantastic look of hate in their eye. There's, the, there's this one woman who has projection, believe me. I think you can hear her all the way out to Staten Island on a good clear night with the wind against her. She's wild. And, and before she's out there in, for five minutes over there about 45th or 46th Street, she's got a crowd of people. All of them are teed off. <laughs> and she says, I am teaching you love. I love. you how to love now. You love, love, love. And these people are all standing around. Pretty soon, of course, the natives get uh, get in an uproar. And the next thing you know, you have you have a small itinerant civil war breaking out there, all on the on the behalf of and in the name of love. She's got this big flag behind her. And she's got ooh the most wild looking eyes. She, she, she really it's wild. And and this is a native right. Hardly any of us recognize it as such, and I'm sure. And, and I'm walking down through through Times Square, and directly ahead of me, there were four people wearing saris. Obviously, they had just come from India. In fact, they had come so recently, they still had the cameras and stuff around them, see? And they're walking right through Times Square, and suddenly they, they see what's going on over there. And they speak... It gets even better. And so they turn right, and they go over to see what's going on. There's about 500 people gathered around, and this this doll is running around back and forth. Her eyes are just... just like like two pinpoints of uh, two two solid steel ice picks looking at everybody and she's screaming and she her neck is kind of kind of bulging out with with anger and with all sorts of wild suppressed emotions and obviously she is right in the middle of her great glory and she is haranguing the crowd hey you don't love yeah yes you did who you are i am so it says in chapter 14 verse 14 i you shall love it you fellow man these native Indians are walking around looking at this. And all the rest of the, uh, the, the American natives are shouting back at this woman. And I'm wondering what, what these people who are wearing the four saris are thinking, you see. And they're taking pictures with their Nikons. <coughs> they have the one four lens, you know. They're shooting away there. And I can just see the letters going home uh, to New Delhi. Uh, dear Krishna, uh, last, night, last night, dear Krishna... I saw and witnessed one of the most interesting of all Native American rites. I was not able to ascertain what it was about, but apparently it was some ritual that seemed to have something to do with love. Uh, I, am, I am at a loss to understand what this precisely meant, but there was a woman who walked back and forth. Dear Krishna, 
Uh, I shall write you later, and when I send my pictures, which I'm having developed at the local drugstore, I'll have to tell you about what drugstores are, Krishna, in my next letter. They're wonderful, interesting places. Uh, I will send you a letter uh, telling you about what drugstores are, and after I have my pictures developed, I will also tell you more about this Native American right. I am visiting the museum this afternoon, and I'm going to ask the information department there. They speak rather good uh, English there. I'm going to ask the information department if they know anything about this Native American right, and if I can look up some information on it. I think it would be an interesting paper that I could write. Uh, I am going back tomorrow night to see if they are going to have another one of these rights. Thank you, Krishna. just called in. Who does he think he is? Jack Parr? <laughs> Who do you think you are, God? <laughs> Sit down, will you, Dad? Take it easy. Be careful. You're dealing with large people. Uh, you know, you know it's, a, it's a funny thing, but the, the Native American rights go on and on and on in this world. And uh, one, of, one of the most intriguing uh, Native rights that I've witnessed in a long time is a particular and very peculiar Native uh, right native very much to the island of Manhattan. I've never seen this anywhere else. I have never been in... Uh, well, this is the thing I noticed years ago, and I'm, 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 I've been making all sorts of researches into it. Now, for example, over here on uh, about 49th or 50th Street, right off, of, right off of 7th Avenue, there's a bowling alley. Now, this is the downstairs type of bowling alley. It's underneath a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> which is a typical Manhattan combination, bowling, Chinese restaurants, and above the Chinese restaurant is a place that says in neon, Gypsy Tea Red, uh, Leaves Red Free, come in. And a big picture of a palm there, you know, and this is, this is Manhattan swinging along there. Uh, a combination of bowling, mysticism, uh, ancient, ancient oriental foods with a little touch of... Uh, a little touch of magic tossed in. Yeah, oh, the, the, the druids are out by the score. This is the... Well, of course, there's two things that... There are two things that bring the Manhattan druids out. Uh, the, the uh, of course, naturally, the most obvious thing is it's full moon. Uh, it's uh, the... All sorts of things are beginning to gnaw and uh, pop out at the edges. And so I'm standing there looking at, the, at a sign uh, where this bowling alley goes downstairs and it's got all kinds of little pictures in a glass case there. And of all things, there's a picture of Rosemary Lane Bowling. And uh, it says, Rosemary Lane Bowling at our fantastic seven-lane bowling emporia. And I'm looking up and down. There's pictures, about nine pictures of Rosemary Lane Bowling. Well, mo in case you don't know who Rosemary Lane was, Rosemary Lane starred in innumerable bee pictures back in the 1930s. She was the queen of the bees, along with Claire Trevor and Priscilla Lane, her sister. Well, here's Rosemary Lane bowling in these pictures. Now, she probably hasn't made a picture since the fall of 39, since Hitler invaded Poland, which unstrung her completely. She was very bad in war pictures. She didn't have the right look in the eye or something. She was in these kind of Valentine pictures, you know, they made before the war. And, and here is Rosemary Lane. So I, I, I couldn't resist it. I go downstairs... And here's this little short fat guy standing next to the cash register. And he's got a short cigar. 
and you can see all these guys over there bowling away there and banging around, and you can hear the guys setting them up there playing snooker. And I go up to the guy, and I says, has Rose been around lately? And he says, what? I says, Rosemary, she come around anymore? He says, what are you talking about, Mac? I says, has Rosemary been in lately? Rosemary Lane, now come on. She comes around, she hangs around this joint. Has she been around lately? I'm looking for her. So what are you talking about, Mac? I says, Rosemary Lane hangs around this joint. How long has it been she's been in here? I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here, Mac. You want a ball? I'll put you down on the list here. You're the three guys ahead of you. This is open bowling tonight. I says, okay. Well, when I see Rosemary, I'll tell her you forgot her. She'll make you take her picture down. He says, get out of here, Mac. I mean, <laughs> so, so I, I figure, you know, I'm on to something good. So I drop into this barber shop, and this barber shop has a big picture of, of, uh, of Steve Allen there in the window, see? And now, a big picture. It says to, to Fred, the greatest barber in Manhattan, Steve Reno. So I go in there and I says, hey, Steve, been around lately? He says, what are you talking about? There's this guy, all night, all night, uh, hair cuttery, see? And his hair looks like it's made out of patent leather. And he's not smoking a cigar, but you know that, that he's, he's, even when he isn't smoking a cigar, there's one there. So I says, has Steve been around lately? What do you mean, Steve? Who you mean? Who are you? Are you a cop? I said, no, I'm looking for Steve Arino. There's a long pregnant pause. See you in the numbers, Biz? I said, I am not in the numbers racket, Jack. I'm looking for Steve Arino. He ain't been around. I said, what do you mean? He, has, he said, look, you're not going to pin nothing on me. He ain't been around here. He ain't been around. I don't know who. I said, Steve Allen. Steve, I don't know him. Don't know him. Get out. Don't know him. Don't know him. Don't know him. And he goes back clipping hair. <laughs> And then I'm I'm in this I'm in the shoe shine parlor and hanging over the cash register is a picture of Fifi Schwartz, famous band leader, uh, <laughs> girl band leader, and she's standing there in this gold lame gown. Fifi Schwartz and her Manhattan Society strutters, and you can see all the guys sitting back with the trombones. And I says, Hey Charlie, uh, how long has it been since Fifi's been in here to get her pump shined? He says, Fifi who? I said, Fifi Schwartz, the famous band leader. There's a picture over there, over there. He says, Fifi Schwartz. And I said, there, I see your picture hanging up over the cash register. Oh, Fifi Schwartz. Yeah. I said, well, has she been in lately? He said, I don't know. I said, well, what do you got the picture of you? I don't know. I was there when I bought the joint. I don't know who Fifi Schwartz is. <laughs> the pictures come with the lease, apparently. <laughs> New York has cleaning places that, that are recommended by 5,000 different Tinder and tap dancers. Have you ever been in these places? There's sides of all kinds of all kinds of tap dancers, guys with marionettes, puppets, all sorts of guys looking out to Fred, the greatest cleaner in the world. This guy never lost a button yet. Signed, Charlie. You know, all of them looking, obviously, theatrical pictures. Looking out, and this is, this is a very, very special... Oh, and there's another picture that is apparently... Jack Dempsey has had his has had his picture taken with every guy that runs a cigar stand in four counties. Every guy and Bob Hope too. There's there's about nineteen thousand pictures of Bob Hope with his arm around this little short fat guy smoking a cigar. To Fred, the greatest cigar dealer in the biz, Bob. <laughs> Looking, up. this is a Manhattan a tradition, almost a complete native tradition that must be preserved at all costs. You know, nobody's ever asked me. I, I'm, when I first came to New York. I'm walking around. I'm out of work, see, and I'm walking back and forth, and I see all these guys in the windows, all sorts of guys, Ed Sullivan, 5,000 different Boy Circuit comics named Jackie Jackie, 
are all looking at you, know, and they got that big grin, that big toothy grin on the, the collar that's a little too wide and the lapel that's four inches wide, you know. Either that or it's a millimeter wide. Depends. Whatever the style is, they go six feet further, you know. If it's narrow lapels, they got no lapels. The lapels are turned under, you know. And so, so here's Jackie Jackie looking out, this big mop of hair, and he's working out, big, big grin. says, Jackie Jackie to Freddy, the greatest little old restaurant man in the world, Jackie Jackie. And, and so I'm walking around and gee, these are the guys that must have made it. You know, it, it, it's, it's a sign of having made it to have, to have your picture in a delicatessen window in Manhattan. This is making it. I mean, to have your picture up in a cleaning joint or a, or a place where they shine shoes, this is making it. And, uh, it, it, and it, all, it has, even to this day, has impressed me as the thing that is making it. And I'm waiting, you see, and it seems terrible. I don't know, do these people take their pictures in there to get hung up, or are they requested? I mean, does somebody pass a judgment? I have never once had anybody ask me for my picture to hang up in the shoe shine place. And I get my shoes shined regularly. And I get my suits. Uh, the other day, it's so funny, I had a stack of 14 pictures all signed to Charlie. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm standing in Charlie's cleaning joint. And I'm holding these pictures up so we can't help but see them. You know, and all around me is are pictures of Fifi Schwartz and Ed Sullivan and dancers and tap dancers and people wearing all kinds of funny silk hats and stuff. And I'm standing there holding. He never once popped a... Never once. Do you push or what do you do? Do you pull or do you just stand? Do you shift on one foot or don't you? What's bugging you, Dad? 3,000 golf scores? Don't worry about it. Hey, don't worry about it. 3,000 golf scores? They'll never rob you. Ever. Come on, stand up. <laughs> What's this guy think he is? Jack Parr or something, huh? <laughs> oh, Staten Island is fermenting tonight. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Hiss and steam. Oh, boil the pot cleanly. We are in the Big Apple, Dad. Of which there is no bigger. A giant Big Apple. And that small worm is pouring its way through this enormous... What kind of an apple is Manhattan? A Macintosh? A Golden Delicious? What type does it stand for? What do you stand for? What does thou believest? <laughs> stand up and be counted. Every man in his turn must be counted. Is you is or is you ain't.
real good tuba, man. Listen to him. That is an E-flat upright tuba, in case you're interested here. That's an E-flat upright tuba. Well, there are many misconceptions about tuba players. Uh... You know, it's funny. It's uh, it's uh, it's an odd thing. This this business of time. I mean, now no, don't 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 duck away and say it's a cliche. Now stop it. It isn't so much of a cliche as you think. That that a person in in uh, well, I hate to say radio because it certainly isn't exclusively radio. But a person who who lives by a kind of measuring of time, and certainly radio does this you begin to have a very almost uh, it's it's almost like a taste how can i say it that time is almost uh almost tangible you can almost feel it and i can tell you this that being on at this hour between 11:45 quarter to 12 that period from 11:15 to midnight is about as different I, I can't describe it except to say that it's a completely different dish of tea. Uh, I've been doing for the last three or four years, ever since we left the nighttime all-night show, uh, which was in 1956, I've been doing all sorts of sort of half-daytime, half-nighttime things. And this is, 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 uh, is like returning to something that you haven't eaten for a long time, but you vaguely remember that you liked and suddenly you're having it again, and it tastes even better than you thought it tasted. And it makes everything... It's a very, very odd thing, this business of time. And uh, I, I also suspect that it is applicable in a, on a much wider scale, too. That uh, almost everything that we do in our lives is very closely and tightly governed by this... This almost totally, uh, in fact, there are some philosophers who say it is a completely imaginary concept called time. They, they, no one has ever been able to determine whether time exists for rocks or not, not actually. Uh, it's a thing we have created, but whatever it is, it, it both controls us and we think we control it. Uh, and, and here I am sitting, and it's the time between 11.15 and midnight for me is, uh, is about like a, a tiny drop of something that I, I am used to having a glass full or a cup of. But the drop is so much sweeter because it is only a drop that a cup would be too much now. That the, that the drop is very important to me. A kid wrote me a note saying, Shepard, says, you sound, since you got on the night show, he said, back again at night, you sound like a fish that's been flopping in the sun on a pier that's been thrown back in the ocean by a kindly old shaft lady. Well, there's some truth in that. Another another one wrote and said, Shepard, I hesitate to write you this letter because in, in the past, every time I've written a letter to somebody, they have immediately disappeared forever. She said, the last time I wrote a letter was back in the mid-1940s. I gave up. She said, after that, I wrote a letter to Henry Morgan when Morgan was on your station, she said, and he immediately disappeared. Immediately. And she says, I, I hesitate to write this letter, but I'm writing this letter because uh, it seems like 
there is a chance that you might be there for a while. Now, I, I'm only saying it seems like, now, of course, this is all, of course, an illusion. And then she went on to say, it, it, must, be, it must be obvious that WOR is, is actually run by a kind of fairy godmother <laughs> that somehow digs gnomes and, and secretly, secretly has a great fear that the sky is falling down. Well, all of the things you're saying, baby, are true. As a matter of fact, the sky is constantly falling down in this business. You can hear the, the creaking of the hinges. Uh, those hinges, by the way, are the well-known hinges of hell, which, as you know, creak mightily and are constantly opening and shutting. I, as a matter of fact, there is some talk now that they're, that they're swinging doors. Uh, if, you, if you had your choice, uh, I mean, you know, there's a secret desire to go to both places. If you could have the, both, the, the worst of both possible worlds, uh, I, I think you might, because uh, really, I mean, you can't see yourself in a place where nobody, where everybody's ha all the time, and there's nothing but music playing, and you sit there, and you're never unhappy. Nothing, no tension, no problem. Of course not. And and a place where nobody is better than anybody else. Everybody's got to be better than somebody else, somehow. Secretly, again, again, this is something we will never admit. This is why a lot of guys, vaguely, either you've got to have somebody that you know is better than you are. Or you've got to be better than somebody. It depends. You know, there's the recessive and the aggressive characters in, in the mankind. And a lot of people get terribly unhappy when they can't see anybody on the immediate horizon who is better than they are. Because they secretly feel they're pretty rotten. And there's got to be somebody that's better than me running the show. There's got to be. <laughs> we can't have rotten guys like me run the show. <laughs> oh, boy. And so, so this, this creates dictatorships, by the way, among, among other things kings, all the rest of it, you know, it creates all this sort of thing. And, and then there's the other type of person who is not happy unless he's better than somebody. And so the army is a very beautiful place for both types of person. If you rise to be corporal, you're better than any PFC in the lot. And you feel good. You're a little bit good. And if you're a private and you want to be a private and you want everybody to be, everybody in the army is better than you. And you can see it right on their shoulder, no question about it. So, uh, I mean, maybe your picture one day will be right there. I'd, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. If I, if I ever had a bar and grill or something like that, I would line my walls with totally unknown people. Just their pictures. To Fred, the greatest bartender in the business. Signed, Charlie Abernathy, Queens. And I'd get all these, these very theatrical pictures made of them and never say anything about who they were. And believe me, the people who would come in would believe that they're celebrities. Somehow, someplace they would be. Oh, come on, come on. Just all you got to do is pull your stomach in. That's all. Pull your stomach in. Remember. Well, I can't exactly tell you what to remember. I mean, you know, it's like this kid walking into Howard Johnson's down there. I mean, any order, you know. I mean, I, I tell you any more than that. And, and, oh, yes, one thing. Keep your mid oil. You never know when the call might come, you know. They're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I have to tell you this. This, this sad guy, this friend of mine, came in dragging in the station the other day, and he looks real sad. Oh, he's real sad. I said, what's the matter, Claude? He says, well, I'm reading the sport page. I said, what are you reading, Claude? Yeah, I'm reading the sport page, and I'm reading about Stan Musial. I said, what's the matter with Stan Musial? Well, it says that Stan Musial is now the oldest extant ball player, and he's going to give up after this season. I'm one semester older than Stan. I said, well, what? He said, well, that means I can never make it now, ever, ever, ever again. Uh, secretly, we all feel, you know. I always was good going to my right, actually. <laughs> I still feel good. There's a lot of ball players that are playing yet today that are older than me. I feel great about it, you know. 
I'm sitting out there at Yankee Stadium one day, and all of a sudden the word comes, Ralph Hauk is out there. Are there any second baseman? Emergency, second baseman. Five minutes later, I'm out there, and I got my knickers rolled up over my knees, you know. And I have borrowed a glove from Hank Bauer or somebody. <laughs> oh, but you know, whatever. I mean, don't push. Don't push, Dad. Keep your knees loose and keep your fanny down. You never know. A low silhouette, you know.